episode 25 of Gridirons and Goal Lines Football Podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm Angelo. That's Taylor. Taylor, say hello to everyone. What's up? All right. So, as you guys know, you really, really, really enjoyed last uh, last episode when we did our division review of the offseason for the NFC North. Today is, of course, the AFC North. I decided to switch back and forth between conferences. Don't ask me why. I'm not going to tell you because I don't know. All right, Taylor, let's go ahead and plug all of our stuff. So, first of all, Taylor, where can people find us on the Twitters? Uh, on Twitter, we're the uh, Gridirons and Goal Lines Football Podcast. That's at G G O A L L I N E S. Yes. Uh, That's perfect. Yeah. You did a great job. Oh, thanks. Everyone's clapping for you right now. Yeah, you guys really need to check out that Twitter. Uh, Taylor gave me some amazing praise last time and uh, said how great I am at tweeting on that Twitter. So you need to figure out for your own. So you have to go and follow that Twitter and tweet at me, and I'll tweet back with you as well. Yeah, I so rarely give him praise, so it must be worth it. Yeah, actually, that's... That's a sad truth. Okay, we also have YouTube up, and uh, that's going really well. So we have to thank Taylor for getting YouTube up there because we know that some people like to uh, listen to that. Um, and we're on several platforms now. So, Taylor, can you list off some of those platforms for everyone? Yeah, so we're still waiting to get onto Apple Podcasts. But in the meantime, you can find us on the Anchor app, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and Radio Public. Perfect, yeah, and uh, honestly, it, you we don't know what you guys typically use, but whatever you do use, please like, like, comment, subscribe, whatever you can do on that platform. I don't know what all those platforms allow you to do, but do everything you can on there uh, to let us know that you are with us and that you're excited. Take a screenshot of you following our podcast and tweet it to us. That'd be cool to see. I'd like that. But we want to thank Anchor for allowing us to be on all these platforms, and uh, we want to thank you guys for listening to us on those platforms. So go follow that Twitter, and like, comment, subscribe everywhere. Okay, so, boom. AFC North today. So what are you going to be expecting from this division review? Uh, In-depth research and analysis on each uh, team in this division uh, in their offseason so far. We're going to be going over free agent signings, staff personnel changes, if there are any. Draft picks is a major one as well. Uh, We will also be able to pick what we are going to pick, not we're going to be able to. We're going to pick a team from each division that had the best offseason, the worst offseason. We're going to kind of dive into that as well. So essentially, we are going to now jump into the AFC North. We go in order of how the teams uh, finished in their standings last year. So we start with the Baltimore Ravens. So the Ravens had a stellar season, but then appeared to be talentless in the postseason last year with against my beloved Tennessee Titans. Uh, Lamar Jackson can be the MVP every year, but... So far, he is proving that the Ravens need more juice on defense, uh, especially in the postseason. So, uh, because we all know that old, beautiful saying, Taylor, defense wins championships. And it's true. Right, Taylor? Uh, tell that to the Kansas City Chiefs. Anyway, the Ravens took that took that old saying to heart. So, the biggest thing that they did, and probably one of the most exciting signings of the offseason, was veteran Calais Campbell uh, was the big signing for the Ravens at defensive line. Campbell has been an absolute unit in recent years with both the Jaguars and the Cardinals, and he's become a pretty well-known figure in the Walter Payton Man of the Year uh, competition every year. So, great guy, amazing player. The Ravens also franchise-tagged Matthew Jr. Judon. Judon just came off of a career-high season with nine and a half sacks. And so here's the only thing I'm thinking. Should there be some worry about tagging Judon here? Because I'm seeing some similarities with 
when they uh, didn't take care of Zadarius Smith and the production he had once he went to Green Bay. Because just in case people don't know, before Zadarius Smith was a Packer, he had a very similar career and contract just like Matthew Judon. But then, oh, there goes Zadarius Smith, and there he goes wreaking havoc in Green Bay. And I can't help but think if the Ravens had Zadarius Smith this season, they probably could have seen themselves in the AFC Championship game, possibly the Super Bowl. So I'm just wondering um, if we should be a little bit concerned that the Jagu- that the Ravens aren't pulling the trigger on this uh, Matthew Judon contract. What do you think, Taylor? You know more about contracts than I do. Yeah, so in general, uh, the main problem as far as the franchise, franchise tag goes with players is that players tend to get offended by it. Um, but it's really genuinely mostly good for the players because it pays them more than they would typically get for that one year. And it just sort of bridges the gap between, you know, this year and hopefully, you know, doing a contract, you know, two years from now or whatever. Yeah. yeah um, I, I so in general, I tend to not worry about franchise tagging players. Um, sometimes with the more high profile ones, you know, it tends to lead to holdouts and stuff. Cough, cough, Dak Prescott, cough. But overall, like, franchise tagging shouldn't be a problem. And if it's not, like, a big player who's looking for a seven-year contract, then typically it doesn't result in anything bad. Fair enough, fair enough. So the Ravens also had what I think was a great draft. Uh, They were in a pretty unique situation where they were pretty much just looking for depth because they've, you know, as much as I don't really care for last year's Ravens team, they were a good team, and so they didn't really need to fill any major uh, major holes here. So the big picks that stand out for the defense were Patrick Queen, who somehow slipped to pick 28, and then Justin uh, Madubuke, who somehow also fell to pick 30 to pick 71 in the third round. So these two guys falling to where they did were huge for the Ravens. Uh, the Ravens continued to lay in the draft to uh, get three more defensive selections. So pretty much they're really building the youth of that defense, which I think is their biggest concern. Uh, I think a, I think a strong argument can be made for wide receiver, but I think with the style of team they're going for, that doesn't matter. And I'm going to tell you why right now. So uh, this offseason for the Ravens becomes even more interesting on the other side of the ball. Greg Roman, the 2019 assistant tight ends coach will be taking over the offensive coordinator duties this coming season. You might remember Greg Ramon's name because he has some experience being an offensive coordinator back in the 2011 season through the 2015 season uh, between the 49ers and the Bills. So he has some he has some ties to the Harbaugh family here a little bit. So during his span as an as an offensive coordinator, he had a laughable passing attack, averaging uh, his offense averaged a ranking of about 28 through his five seasons as a uh, offensive coordinator. So horrible. However, his rushing attack ranked fourth on average. He even had a number one rushing attack in 2015 before he was fired after a 23 to 37 loss in which his offense gained 399 yards of total offense. That was the bills team coached by Rex Ryan before he was on his way out the door. So essentially you what you have here is you have uh, Greg Ramone who probably should have been in an offensive coordinator position this entire time and slipped because of being attached to Rex Ryan and the laughable coaching career that he finished with there in Buffalo. So I got to say, 
what they're building here looks scary on offense. And I'm going to go in a little bit more, and then we're going to talk about why. So to go along with the Ravens' style of keeping the ball on the ground, the Ravens drafted J.K. Dobbins, running back out of OSU. Everyone knows this guy's name. He was arguably the best running back available in the draft, but again, somehow slipped to pick 55. I don't know how the Ravens just kept getting lucky. They literally did. They didn't make any efforts to get these guys in advance. They just fell to them in their laps, and the Ravens took them. Dobbins had one of the best careers for an Ohio State running back pretty much ever, which says a lot about his talent level. How do we feel about the Ravens settling into a run-first style team? Um, did they do enough on defense? Uh, so to start with the run-first style team, that's kind of what they were supposed to be last year, and that's kind of what got them to 13 wins. And then they got off of that and lost to the Titans. Yeah. Like, oh no, we're down seven points. Better throw the ball 50 times. Yeah, we're we're down seven points to a team that we know is going to run the ball 40 times, so we should probably just try to play catch-up in a game that we didn't need to play catch-up. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's where you're going to see, uh, you know, Greg Ramon's offensive coordination kind of come into there because he's going to commit to the run. He's not really going to resort to the pass pretty much almost never, it seems like. So I think that what you're building here as an offense is going to be pretty scary. I think there's going to be still, though, there's going to be a lot of talk about Lamar Jackson and his legitimacy as a quarterback, as a throwing quarterback. And I think, you know, you've got to kind of agree with that a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, uh, did they trade Hayden Hurst or their other tight end? Um, I think it was Hayden Hurst was traded. They had two tight Yeah, it was Hayden Hurst, I'm pretty sure, that was traded to the yeah. Falcons. Because they have, um, oh gosh, I'm Mark, An- Mark, Mark, Mark Andrews. Andrews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's an, I actually didn't put this in the um, in the script, but it's kind of a big issue. Is they had this really great dual tight end system that uh, Lamar Jackson was comfortable throwing to, and they've completely eliminated it by getting rid of one of the pieces. This is not a single tight end system that Lamar Jackson's mm-hmm. comfortable throwing to. So really what they really did was they took away Lamar Jackson's weapons at passing and just gave him more weapons on the ground, which is totally fine. Uh, but you've got to be comfortable with sticking to your guns, even in the face of, you know, some challenges, just like you mentioned in the postseason with the Titans. Right. So, uh, and kind of just to touch a little bit on the defense here, uh, you mentioned last episode about, you know, the, the classic Bears defense and just being sort of nostalgic. The other team that I associate with having a top-notch defense is the Ravens. And so I'm not like the biggest Ravens fan, but, you know, seeing them with a tough defense is just kind of kind of classic and good to see. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that they have a little bit of concerns in the uh, defensive back area outside of Marlon Humphrey. I don't know if Earl Thomas is going to be – I don't know what Earl Thomas' status is as far as playing the season goes. I'm assuming he's going to, but uh, I don't know if there's going to be some legal things that get in the way. I don't know, man. But uh, I, I also don't think that Earl Thomas is playing his best football or even near his best football anymore. So they pretty much just have Marlon Humphreys back there playing defensive back, and I think that could be an issue when you're in a division with like Ben Roethlisberger or you're in a division where maybe Joe Burrow is trying to take advantage of throwing the ball around. But we'll see. We'll get more into that later on in other episodes as far as reviewing how teams will perform. So, uh, you got anything else on the Ravens, Taylor? No, I think that's it. All right, let's go to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, the Steelers began the offseason by tagging Bud Dupree, but stepped away from veteran Mark Barron. Mark Barron uh, had 82 tackles and three sacks last season, but really the big thing was he provided a very important, what I thought was veteran leadership and consistency as at his position. So, he's an older guy, whatever. Uh, they also picked up 
the fifth year option on TJ Watt. And so kind of my question for Taylor is, you know, so that's going to pay him around 10 million this coming season after making about 1.7 million base last year. So do you think right now, Taylor, that you're looking at TJ Watt, he almost won defensive player of the year is 10 million, a good bargain for Watt this year, or should there have been efforts to get the longer extension worked out immediately? Um, de- I, I don't know. It, it's definitely not a bargain, but you got to keep in mind for the fifth year option, you have to select to do that before the start of their fourth year. Right. So it's kind of hard to know in advance what the correct thing to do is. Do you think that they could have signed TJ Watt? Because obviously they're going to sign TJ Watt to a contract extension. So do, do you think they could have gotten away with signing him to a multi-year extension that maybe only paid him around seven or eight million a year? Or do you think that he knows he's, do you think that he that he's probably worth more than ten million a year? Yeah, I so I honestly don't know uh, what he thinks uh, his contract should look like. Definitely, if they could have gotten him uh, for a five year deal at you know seven, eight, or even nine million a year, I think that that would have been really good for the the Steelers. So I don't know if they proposed that and he shot it down, or if they just went straight for the option. Um, I I really don't know the behind the scenes on that. But again, with when you have to select to go for the fifth year option, um, I don't think that they were wrong to do it. And then maybe he's okay taking less money than that, but you're not going to, if they've already basically said that they have to do the fifth year option for 10 million, you're not going to say, okay, you can get rid of that year to pay me less now. That's fair. Yeah. So the Steelers were pretty silent on offensive restructuring this off season. Uh, They drafted Chase Claypool wide receiver in the second round, and they were able to nab Anthony McFarlane, who I actually think is a pretty big pick there in the fourth round to assist with the running back depth. Because I felt like last season, the Steelers just really struggled with running the football and having depth at that position. Uh, You know, they had Benny Snell who was fine every once in a while, but he, you know, he was a rookie. I think Jalen Samuels, pretty much battled injury just as much as James Conner did last season. So just so much inconsistency at that running back position. I see them cycling through like four running backs this year. And I think it's actually a good thing for the Steelers because you've said in the past, Taylor in private conversations that you think that Mike Tomlin's offense just makes running backs good. So uh, uh, I've said the same thing about their wide receivers, honestly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, b- both these prospects that we're talking about were, you know, they weren't the biggest names this year, but they're still players that uh, team certainly wanted. Pittsburgh also signed several offensive linemen in the free agency, no doubt in an effort to find some combination in the front five to protect uh, them in the offense this year. Uh, then they signed Eric Ebron, you know, that pretty much capped off their off season. Um, I know Taylor, you, you like the Eric Ebron signing, right? I do. Um, It's kind of weird. Uh, When the Colts signed him, I was all for it. And then he had a good year. And then he had a not great year and some attitude problems. And, like, basically, obviously, it's the same year. The Colts cut him. The Steelers pick him up. And I like both sides of the move. I like the Colts getting rid of him. And I like the Steelers picking him up. For one thing, uh, obviously, there are limitations, you know, when it comes to players like uh, Antonio Brown, who you love to talk about. Uh, Mike Tomlin does a great job of working with players with bad attitudes. Yeah. So he might be able to sort of whip Ebron in shape. And, you know, it's like I said, uh, like I told you when they signed him, it's a one-year deal, right? If he's as good as he was the first year he signed with the Colts, it's worth it. Maybe they try to re-sign him. If not, you know, whatever. He's out. Yeah. And 
I'm going to ask this question, and it was kind of like something we, we just propose, proposed a few minutes ago, but with how quiet this offseason was for the Steelers, does it say that they are very confident that with a healthy Big Ben and Mike Tomlin that they can get back to true Steelers form with the team that they have? Well, they what was their record last season, 8-8? Eight eight? Yeah. So they went 8-8 eight and eight with a third-string quarterback and third-string running back. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, yeah, Tom- they should probably feel all right. Mike Tomlin's a great coach. Um, the, the biggest thing that they have working against them, like, their team's going to come back healthy, and they should be pretty good, but their division is a lot tougher now. It is a lot tougher, um, but I, I think that – I do think that the confidence behind this offseason is very perplexing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't – I think it's misplaced. I think that uh, they need to handle a lot more things at the wide receiver position because I think Big I think Big Ben is older. I think he's coming off of a year that he pretty much sat the whole year, and I'm thinking that he's going to have a very rough return to this new fast-paced division that he's probably not very familiar with. But I also have faith in Mike Tomlin because, as people probably know, Taylor and I are pretty big Mike Tomlin fans. So I think that uh, as long as they keep that defense in the top five like they did last season. Like you said, they went 8-8 eight eight with uh, Duck Hodges, Mason Rudolph, and a slew of running backs. You're right, Taylor. Probably they'll be okay this season. All right. Uh, the Cleveland Browns are next. I wrote a lot. I didn't write much about the Cleveland Browns. I'm kind of bored talking about the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> They're just so consistently disappointing. Yeah, so let's talk about how consistently disappointing they will probably be this season. So uh, the list of what appears to be great veteran additions to this year's Browns team may be just as impressive as last year, honestly. Maybe not as flashy as last year, but still very impressive. Uh, so they got Jack Conklin in free agency, which was huge. Um, they got Austin Hooper in free agency, which was pretty big. They got Andy Jonovich fullback out of uh, Denver, which was pretty big. They got they picked up Andy Sandejo after he was cut by the Ravens, and then or sorry, cut by the Vikings. And then you have Case Keenum, who has pretty obvious connections to the new head, you know, new head coach uh, Stefanski, because whenever Kevin Stefanski was the coordinator at uh, Minnesota, he was coaching Case Keenum. So all of which serve the same role outside of Sandejo, which is to you know so all these guys serve the same role outside of Sandejo, which is to prove whether or not Baker Mayfield should continue to quarterback this team. Now this isn't a question on here, but I'm going to ask you anyway, Taylor. And really, it's not even about the offseason, but should Baker Mayfield be quarterbacking this team? <laughs> um, I hope so. Right. Look, I really like Baker Mayfield, and when I don't like Baker Mayfield, I really try to. But he, I so for the past couple seasons, I have been able to put the blame on the Browns organization and Freddie Kitchens. But this year, you can't put it on anything. Well, they do have a new head coach in this season with a. Uh, you know, la- the the pandemic in the off season and stuff. Uh, okay. So I'm probably going to try to. But the thing is, they have such a good offense. Like the line's better. They have all of the weapons. There is no reason why they shouldn't be really good. Yeah, it's just it's difficult to look at this offense. Like I now think that this offense, roster wise, might be one of the best offenses in the league. Maybe, I mean, outside of quarterback, obviously. But, like, you look at last year, they, they go out and they get OBJ. Okay, so they have one of the top wide receivers in the league. This year, they go out and get Jack Conklin, arguably a top two or top three right tackle 
last season. And they get Austin Hooper, who who has progressed slowly, but has, has had a great season. Andy Jonovich is actually an amazing fullback, which will work super well with Nick Chubb back there. So, yeah, I mean, this te- this offense, they did a lot for this offense this offseason. Then we look at the draft the Browns went with. Uh, they drafted Jedrick Wills. Uh, which I felt was really questionable, especially if you were following our Twitter. I had some things to say about this. Uh, he was third on most lists for uh, the best available offensive tackles in the draft. And I'm not saying it was wrong, but the idea of taking Wills over Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa was very odd to me. Still probably, uh, it's still probably a good anchor with Jack Conkle on the other side. So whatever. Uh, however, then the Cleveland Browns went and drafted uh, Grant Delpit out of uh, safety out of LSU in the second round, which will hopefully be the, the replacement they need for Jabril Peppers, which they traded away whenever they got OBJ, uh, which was pretty big for him. So I'm hoping that the Grant Delpit pick works out really well because the the Browns desperately need a safety that's out there taking care of plays for them on defense. And then the Browns also took Harrison Bryant, uh, tied in out of Florida Atlantic University, uh, very well-known player in the fourth round. He slipped in the fourth round because you're not really going to take an FAU player, especially a tight end. Uh, but Taylor, you and I were kind of discussing this. What do we like and dislike right now about uh, Austin Hooper, uh, David Njoku, and Harrison Bryant all on the same team? Yeah, it just seems so weird to have all of them. Um, you know, you have David Njoku who's, by all counts, pretty darn good. Yeah. Right? And then you pick up Austin Hooper in the offseason, which is certainly fine. Now you've got two good tight ends. Great. And then you draft one, um, which, I mean, I guess it's a fourth rounder, right? So I suppose it's fine for depth, and maybe he could be really good in the future. But it just feels like maybe they had some other, other places they could have used the pick for to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, so I kind of, we had a private conversation discussing why maybe they would be doing this. So David Njoku right now, uh, let's see, he's in the last year of his contract. And this was kind of my argument for for what they did here with Harrison Bryant is, for some reason, the Browns, I don't think, are sold on David Njoku, which seems wrong to me. I think they should be sold on David Njoku. So when you're looking at him, uh, I think they're thinking they're not going to be signing this guy to an extension. And so they wanted to replace him now. Uh, so Harrison Bryant doesn't have to play as much and be, you know, as much as a rival piece of the offense. And now they have Austin Hooper, who's obviously proven to be a starting tight end in the league. So that could be the only reason. I don't know. I also like tight ends a lot. I would like it if the Browns just kept all three of these guys for the next few years and had this really awesome, fun, short passing scheme. But that won't happen. David Njoku is going to be with a different team pretty soon, and I hope that he has success there. All right. Uh, so we know that Kevin Stefanski is being tasked with coaching this team up to prove its uh, to its true potential. We often said that Baker needs someone to rein him in. Do we think that Stefanski and the Browns offseason will get the job done in Cleveland? I don't know, but I hope so. Yeah. I, I think, oddly, because last year seemed like a great offseason for them, I think this offseason was better. I mean, really, the, getting an actual coach is the big thing, I think. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, this Browns team could win 11 games. It could also win five. Um, and if it does that, I think it's going to be Baker's fault. But we'll see. We'll yeah, see. so if this team wins five games, then I think the Browns should move off of Baker Mayfield. If that happens, do you think he ends up somewhere else? Oh, no. 
I doubt uh, <laughs> Baker Mayfield is is so much like Johnny Manziel that he will fade away in his own ridiculousness to where he's lucky if he's picking up scrap games at some made up football league in a couple years that folds in week five. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Baker Mayfield will be a Brown or he will play football nowhere else. All right. Cincinnati Bengals time. So outside of picking Joe Burrow and T Higgins with their first two selections of the draft, which are great picks, I think. Uh, I think everyone thinks they're great picks, actually. (laughs) The Bengals really did not make any other efforts to fix their lack of offensive weapons. They did at least... uh, they did at least draft four defenders, they, three linebackers and a defensive end. Two of these linebackers, are, I think, are actually going to be really great. Uh, Logan Wilson out of Wyoming and then Akeem Davis-Gaither out of, I believe it was Appalachian State. You know, I like these I like these smaller school kids, um, linebackers in particular. Uh, I think that they can be coached really well, and I think that uh, you might see uh, Logan Wilson and Akeem Davis-Gaither as uh, some pretty prominent uh, linebackers in, in their year three and four progression. Um, the Bengals turned to free agency to bolster their defense this year. They picked up several free agency defensive backs uh, that they feel could be using different unique coverage packages, which I think this is weird because they're not really in a passing elite division, but yet they focused on defending against a passing elite division. So that's kind of my issue with that. But I mean, whatever, they spent money on depth. I guess that's good. Uh, the big news of free agency this year for the Bengals was signing DJ Reader uh, to a four-year, $53 million contract. Reader does not have any flashy stats, per se. Uh, he was he was a four-year player, as people probably know, out of Houston with the Texans. Uh, so he, he's not really a flashy guy, uh, but was a very healthy and consistent guy for the Texans throughout his career, which, is the, which I think is the important thing. I think the Bengals are really just looking for guys that can play 16 games a season, honestly. I think they're looking for guys to finish the season. Uh, the real shocker with this signing was showing the Bengals may be willing to actually spend a little bit of cash because they've proven recent years that they are not interested in spending a lot of money on free agents, which is why uh, I think that they've had such a hard go of things, you know, head coaching uh, quorums aside as well. There are still, th- Oh, sorry. You got something Taylor. Yeah. I just want to want to point out that again, for a four year contract for where we're at in the league, like, you know, this is thirteen and a half million a year, which is maybe a little bit more than DJ Raiders worth. But I mean, if you look at what other DTs are are making, I mean, did you see how much the Colts are play- paying DeForest Buckner? I did not. So, how much were they paying him? I believe it's about twenty three mil a year. Yeah, uh, Dr- I mean, Drell Casey was a twenty three million cap hit before the Titans traded him to the Broncos. So now the Broncos are paying that money. I mean, yeah, so, that's a good point. I mean, these now, but you and I just listed two elite defensive tackles. Sure, but he's making half Rader. of that. Yeah, so. that's a good point. You're right. You're right. You're right. So I mean, it's it's a good sign. I hope it works out. Um, as far as I know, Geno Atkins is still healthy and a Bengal. Um, so. Honestly, really, Geno Atkins and DJ Reader stuffing up the middle for the Bengals in a division that's going to focus on the run and drafting young linebackers. By golly, the Bengals might be trying to do something on defense. They this might. Year. I don't know. Be weird. Who knows? <laughs> be weird. Uh, so, but there are still three glaring issues for the Bengals this offseason. Uh, so, one, they did not make any moves to improve their tight end core. They actually let go of Tyler Eifert, which was probably a good idea because he pretty much has battled injuries since he came out of Notre Dame. So that's probably okay. 
but we kind of talked earlier about how important tight ends are, especially for uh, younger quarterbacks as well. I think that Joe Burrow really needed a good tight end to throw the football to this season, and now he does not have one. And that's going to be the biggest issue, I think, uh, with Joe Burrow's development is he's going to have to take a lot more risks, and that's not good for him. Uh, there was also no attempt to give a break uh, to Joe Mixon uh, in the running back circulation. So I actually think Joe Mixon's pretty good at running back. I think uh, I think he's been very underrated. Um, I think he's going to be much better this year of Joe Burrow, actually. But dude's going to get tired because the Bengals just refuse to get a good or at least somewhat decent backup running back for this running back circulation. Um, and then with approximately $16.5 million in cap space after they signed their rookies, the Bengals have made no announced efforts to sign Jadavion Clowney, who has come down from his laughable price of $20 million, like we talked about earlier. So essentially, they have they have a pretty decent amount of cap space that they could be using to go get this guy right now. Or, I don't know, maybe go get a guy that just said he's willing to be a backup quarterback, Cam Newton. And they're not they're sitting on it, which is what the Bengals do, really, which is which is very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I know Cam said he'd be willing to be a backup quarterback, but given that the the Bengals didn't do enough to address their offensive line or their running game or their tight ends, <laughs> I wouldn't hate to see them, you know, sit Joe Burrow for a season. Yeah. You know, go grab go grab Cam for a year, make him the starter. Yeah, we we've had proper conversations about how we think that'd be a really good idea, um, and I think it. I, I, th- I think that if you are the Bengals, going at Cam Newton is not the worst thing you could do this year. I think that what they're worrying about is they want to get the most production out of A.J. Green right now, which is a very poor decision to throw Joe Burrow in. But, I th- but I'm, I'm guessing that's why the Bengals want to just rush this thing. Also, they, they are getting back uh, Jonah Williams, who was their first-round offensive tackle pick last year. Uh, he, he got that season-ending injury, I think, in the preseason or maybe even during summer workouts. Uh, but they do get him back this year, which will, will, it will be pretty big. Uh, he mm-hmm. was poised to be a really great uh, tackle last season after he was drafted. So um, that was just my comment for your, for your offensive line comment pretty much. But other yeah. than that, you're right. They, haven't, they did not do a lot for offensive line, which has been their huge right. issue. Going back to Joe Burrow starting a little bit, you know, the Browns actually have a very impressive front seven on defense, uh, which is interesting because so do the Steelers and so do the Ravens, and that's what Joe Burrow has to play six times a year. Yeah. Joe, so, we've kind of discussed the rough go that Joe Burrow is going to have, and um, between the lack of offensive weapons and between playing those defenses six times a year, Yikes with a capital Y is all I got to say about that. I, I hope for his sake that his bones are adamantium. <laughs> all right. So typically we hear stories from uh, from players or agents in regards. This is kind of related to what I was saying about Jadavion Clowney. So usually we hear stories from players or agents that say, yeah, we're talking this team. We're talking this team. But the Bengals have been – they've made no known efforts – to get guys like Clowney. They didn't try to get Eric Ebron. They didn't try to get Frank Gore. They didn't try to get Jordan Howard. Uh, Logan Ryan is still waiting for a home. And I just read today that the Jets are probably going to be signing Logan Ryan. And this should have been, this should have been a key signing for the Bengals who need help at defensive back. So I, I had never a question here, but I guess my next question is just why are the Bengals ignoring some pretty bit? Like, why do they think that Joe Burrow is all, is all they had to do. It's frustrating. I, yeah. 
I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, I mean, it's I guess it's I guess it's not really an answerable question, but I understand they drafted T Higgins. That's nice and everything, but I think that every other team in this division had a better offseason than the Bengals. Maybe not the Steelers, because the Steelers didn't necessarily do much. Like the Steelers are still a better team than the Bengals, but the Bengals right. did more this offseason, I guess. But still, when you look at the offseason the Ravens had and the offseason the Browns had, my goodness, Bengals, you guys have got to step it up. The Bengals are definitely the 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 Lions of this division. We talked last episode about the the Lions and how poor they did in comparison. I think that's the Bengals here. Yeah, uh, it's like the 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 Bengals are have gotten so bad in recent years that they're like the Browns of the AFC North. Oh wait. <laughs> all right, so let's let's wrap this up with, our, with a couple of our questions. So first of all, Taylor, who won the NFC North this off season? Uh, at least on paper, it's got to be the Browns. Yeah, you're <laughs> very good. Little little sec. Yeah, on paper, the Browns. I I think I would agree with you. I think a strong argument can be made for what the Ravens did this offseason, getting Kalias Campbell, getting some defensive pieces, uh, getting so, J.K. Dobbins. But I think you're probably right with the Browns. The Ravens are definitely my second choice here. I almost chose them. Uh, it's not that they didn't make some good moves, but it's more just like they're for similar reasons to why I picked the Packers in our NFC North episode. Their team was really good, and they didn't downgrade. Yeah. But I think the Browns made enough quality signings that I'm going to pick them here. I think that's fair. And then, so, for the biggest loser, I'm going to preface this again by kind of re-mentioning what I just said, was the Steelers didn't do a lot this offseason. I'm not saying they're a bad team, but I am saying they're the biggest losers this offseason because they didn't really do much. The Bengals still went out and got Joe Burrow. They still went out and got T Higgins. They still got these young, exciting players that people are going to be spending money on to see play live. So that's good for them. So I'm going to go with the Steelers as the biggest losers. I agree completely. The The Bengals are still so much worse than the Steelers. Yeah. But I think the, the Bengals improved this offseason way more than the Steelers did. Yeah, definitely. It, But it's tough, though, because that scale is so different. You know, right? <laughs> uh, what was the biggest need that was filled, and what was the biggest need that was ignored? I, th- I think that the biggest need that was ignored was pretty much um, uh, major defensive weapons for the Bengals. I'm, I'm thinking like safety wise and defensive back wise, just in general. I think that was the big thing. Um, right. But, uh, that's my biggest need that was ignored. My biggest need filled, I guess, would probably also again just have to be the Bengals getting a quarterback, but yeah, I, I agree completely. Yeah. Uh, the, the biggest need in this whole division, I mean, the Browns roster stacked, the Ravens roster is good. And even the Steelers have a pretty good team. The only team that really had a big hole was, I mean, the, the, the Bengals have a lot of them, but the biggest one is of course the quarterback position. Right. And they address that. I still don't, I'm still not convinced that Joe Burrow was the best quarterback in this draft. But I do think he was the best quarterback for the Bengals. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I, I I would almost even say that the uh, the the biggest need filled obviously was was the head coaching position for the Browns. But I I think that it's difficult to to not just pick you know the Bengals going and getting their guy. I mean, it's not like they had to try hard. <laughs> they had the number one pick, but I mean, they made the right decision. Um, I don't know. A lot of case can be made for this whole Tua thing. Maybe that's for a whole nother episode. (laughs) 
All right, everyone. So that was our episode on the AFC North division review. Uh, we'll be coming at you guys uh, next time with probably the NFC East followed by the AFC East. I'm sure uh, those will be coming out uh, in a, probably a, a week or so after uh, we get this AFC North episode out. So remember, follow us on Twitter, comment at us on Twitter, take screenshots of you like listening to us and like send it to me or whatever. And I would love to mention you on our next episode. That'd be a lot of fun. Actually do some, do some viewer shout outs. Um, Taylor, do you have anything to tell the people? Uh, no, I, th- I think we're good other than a warning that, uh, you know, we've been trying to keep these division episodes a bit shorter, but no promises when we get to the AFC South. I <laughs> we we should probably split the AFC South like completely in half, uh, or I just like one one per team. <laughs> or you know, we'll just we'll just have we'll invite uh, guest speakers on to just do the NFC North or NFC South. Oh wait, all of our friends are NFC AFC South fans, so that doesn't work either. All right, all right, okay, everyone. Well, we'll see you next time with the NFC East. See ya. Bye.